Today we go to Luke chapter 17. I'd like you to stand for reading from God's Word. We read the first two verses that set the tone for this passage. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. You may be seated. Jesus is prepping his people for his departure. He he wants them to know that that difficult times will come. And and temptation and trials they will face. But he has a special word to anybody by which they come. He says if you're the one that brings someone to a place where they stumble, you're you're in trouble. In fact, you see the picture there. That's a millstone. He said it's so bad that what I'll do is I'll tie a millstone around your neck and drop you to the scariest place to ancient people, which was the sea. And, and, and we, would, we would say that today. Uh, I'm just sort of blown away by the amount of abuse that happens to children. Some of you have endured that. And, and, and Jesus, in our language today, would say, you know, if you're the one that brings that and you don't repent, there's a special place in hell for you. And, and so Jesus starts this in a, a strong way because what Jesus is giving in the, the block we're looking at today is a warning. He, he's warning his disciples that we live in enemy territory. Um, we, we live in a, a war zone. And we're looking at a big section of Scripture today, and it starts with this idea that you can stumble, and it ends with the idea of not giving up, and it actually ends with this question. When the Son of Man comes back to the earth, Will he find faith? Why? Because we're in this enemy territory. And Jesus is trying to equip us of how to survive. So today what I'm going to introduce you to is seven survival skills through this story. You see, Jesus says you and I are in a real-life version of the TV show Survivor. And Jesus takes upon himself to teach us the survival skills like a bear gills would, but he is perfect. Why? Because the problem is when you go into enemy territory and you don't know you're there. The problem is when you're dropped in the middle of a wilderness and you're shocked and you don't have the skills, or you joined the army and you didn't pay attention to your training and you're dropped in the middle of a war zone and you don't have the skills to survive. And Jesus says, I don't want my people to be that way. See, the disciples then needed to hear this. I mean, they've watched Jesus before miracles. They've heard his incredible teaching. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him put the Pharisees in their place over and over again. They've seen him love people that other people thought were unlovable. And it's been awesome. And they're on a high. And Jesus says, the high is not going to last. And I feel the same way about us right now as a church. I I feel like as a church, we have probably the best sense of momentum we've had in years. Uh, We've seen lots of people become Christians recently, have lots of new people coming. We've had the highest three Sundays of attendance the last three weeks that we've had all year, including 1,211 last week on Friend Day with a guest list of eight pages of guests. I mean, amen. Thank you, Aubrey. I mean... God 
is doing some amazing things. We kicked off small groups, and there seems to be a, a new energy and new groups and new people getting in groups and folks who dropped out of groups getting back in groups. I mean, you can just sort of feel that it's going on. And I don't know if you feel this way, but, but I actually feel on an amazing high. We may be in a bigger church at some points, but we've never been a stronger church. But here, here's what I want to say there. And, and what Jesus is saying is, guys, it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be stumbling blocks in your way and in my way. And Jesus wants to prepare us to face those. So let me give you seven survival skills that Jesus is going to give. Number one is going to be a commitment to truth. You see, because we live in a world where often we don't see what's coming. And often that trips us up. And that's why Jesus starts this by saying, you need to be alert, you need to be aware. You know, often we laugh about, you know, people being so unaware of the use of their cell phones, and it's gotten so bad we know about people who, who've been run over because they walk with their cell phone in the middle of traffic. I did see something in the paper yesterday I'd never heard of before, but they talked about selfie deaths, selfie deaths. That over the last few years, we have records of 259 people who have died taking, taking selfies. They deserve it. They've died uh, uh, taking selfies of themselves. Now, here's the problem is they might be on a body of water and they fall in it, or they might be on top of a mountaintop and they fall, or they might be on a tall building and they're trying to get the right selfie. I'm so happy to report that Last Sunday, on what we proclaimed Selfie Sunday, we did not have a single death. <laughs> and, and so sometimes you're, you're just sort of hit unaware. And I think we've been hit unaware by this one, is the need for us to have a commitment to truth. You see, when Jesus talks about people being stumbling blocks, in context, he's talking about the Pharisees. He said, you guys who've been introduced to the gospel of grace, I don't want you to stumble back over this pharisaical kind of faith. You need to know what the truth is. And my friends, for our survival skills today, this is so vitally important. Why? Because we live in a culture that is not even sure if there is truth or not. I heard a big-time lawyer on TV a few weeks ago, you'd know his name if I gave it, said, there is no such thing as truth. We live in a political climate. We've always had disagreements. But in the political climate of today, we don't even agree on the facts. Uh, this, we, we even talk about, well, this is your truth, and uh, Oh, I appreciate you have your truth, but this is my truth. And what we have come to today as a country is there is no standard of truth. It used to be, even if people weren't Christians, at least you knew we agreed on what behavior was right and what was wrong. We no longer agree. And so today, as the truth of God's Word is dropped about marriage and dropped about sex, and dropped about even just common civility. How many are embarrassed, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, by the way people treated each other this week in those hearings? We, we've lost even civility. 
because we don't have that standard of truth. And my friends, let me just say this for a second. Why are we shocked that the world is going crazy and people are doing sexual behavior to people we never would dreamed about. And families are in complete disarray. And children are being raised in a way that they shouldn't have to be raised. Why are we surprised this has happened when we generations ago said there's no such thing about truth? And what God's Word says about sex or about marriage or about civility doesn't really count anymore. We shouldn't be surprised. We are reaping the whirlwind of a lack of truth. And I want to say to you, if you want to survive, if you want your children to survive, if you want your grandchildren to survive, we must be holding up the standard of God's Word as truth. If this is not truth, then your truth is as good as mine. And there is no absolute standard. And the world can continue to go crazy, and your life is going to go downhill. And that's why as a church, one of our, our big commitments right now is that everything we do as a church, we want Scripture to permeate it. I preached to the new member the other day. He said to me, what I love about being at Landmark is anything, anytime a question comes up, you guys say, let's go dive in the Scripture and see what it says. So a survival skill is, is just truth. Because if you go through this life, have to decide what's right and wrong, and just choosing on your emotions... You're going to go in the wrong. But if you know there's a standard of truth, it will change you. Now, let's just walk through some of this passage. After Jesus says this, look what he says. I want you to open your Bibles. I can put the Scripture on the screen the rest of the way. Uh, let's, let's go to the second story, a willingness to forgive. Look with me at verse 3. He says, um, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come to, back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This is astonishing. Jesus says somebody does you wrong seven times, not just seven times, seven times in a day. The most liberal of rabbi would say, you only have to forgive someone three times in a lifetime. And Jesus doubles that and adds one and relegates it to a day. Now, why is Jesus so radical about this? Because there may not be a bigger stumbling block out there to keep us from playing big for God than you and I becoming bitter, unforgiving people. We all are done wrong at different places in our life. And some of us are just collection agencies for all the wrong we've done. It is no wonder we end up 40, 50, 60 years old full of bitterness. And we never can play big for God with that kind of bitterness. And so Jesus says we need to practice a radical forgiveness. I mean, so many of us have been touched by what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, that AME church where those small group of people were meeting for a Bible study on Wednesday night. And a white supremacist named Dylan Roof walked in there and shot and killed nine of them. But that's not the most shocking thing. The most shocking thing is in his hearing, the members of that church that survived forgave him. And even our world had to stand up and take notice. I'm trying my hardest to try to get some of those people to come talk to us next year because they've got a great story. 
And you go, how is that kind of radical forgiveness possible? Ephesians 4, verse 32. We forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. My brothers and sisters, we are able to forgive the inexcusable in others because Jesus has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Now, that's not easy. And we have to be reminded. Please be seated. We keep working through Luke chapter 17. Jesus' apostles are pretty blown away by the standard of forgiveness. And so they respond in verse 5 to the Lord, increase our faith. How in the world can we, we forgive this way? We, we're going to have to have more faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and you say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant the sea, it will obey you. What does Jesus say is our third survival skill? It's mustard seed faith. You know, it it looks impossible to them to be able to forgive someone who's done you that bad. How how do you do that seven times in one day? And, And Jesus says, you've got faith. You can do the impossible. You can uproot a mulberry tree. Now, I, I don't, I, Luke is the only one who uses a mulberry tree. That, that sounds like a, a sissy tree to me. How about you? Um, come on, give me a live oak, not a, not a mulberry tree. But I, I've done a little research on this. A mulberry tree actually was one of the sturdiest of trees that would last for six or 700 years and develop such an incredible root system to live that long. It was actually very difficult to uproot a mulberry tree. And so Jesus is saying is, if you have faith, you can do the impossible, uproot a mulberry tree and sit in the sea, or you can forgive people who should never receive your forgiveness. But you've got to notice closely, Jesus said all you need is mustard seed faith. You see, we always say, I just need a lot more faith. And Jesus says, it's not a matter of having a lot more faith. The standard is not how much faith you have, the issue is who you put your faith in. Jesus says, if you just got a teeny little bit, mustard seed, smallest seed known, if you just got a teeny little bit of faith in God, that'll do great things. I used to hear preachers say, a strong, a weak faith and a strong bridge will get you across every time. But a big, strong faith and a weak bridge will get you wet every time. And that's what Jesus is saying. The issue here is, are you going to put your faith in God? And guys, this is such an important survival skill because when life doesn't make sense and things are happening you don't understand, and even God's doing things you don't like or you don't understand, All you need is just that little bit of faith to say, you know what? Despite everything I'm seeing, despite my confusion, I will trust you. And then we get to the next survival skill, which is loving obedience. And this is a quite unique passage here, beginning in verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he not say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? In other words, you're the master, you got a servant. In this day, you don't invite the servant to eat at your table. And he says, won't you rather say, prepare my supper, that's for the master, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, 
And okay, after that, you can eat and drink. And then he says, will the master thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No, that's his job. And then he says, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, this is sort of hard. What does it mean here to be unworthy? It means nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes you a thing. And my friends, guys, God does not owe us anything. The only reason that you and I are saved in a relationship with God is because of his absolute grace. It's not because of what you've done. And God doesn't owe you anything. And so here's the contrast of the story. The contrast is just a, an average, everyday master. You know, if you're expected to obey him, even though he doesn't even recognize what you're doing, just expects it, how much more should we be obedient to a God who loves us? And so what he's teaching here is a skill that is really missing in our day, and that's just obedience. And obedience says, you know what, God, I don't care how I feel, I don't care what I want to do, I don't care what everybody else is going to do, I'm committed to obeying you. I'm just committed to do the right thing, even when it doesn't feel right. Now, that's not known very often. Now, I, I was speaking at a men's retreat last weekend in Ohio, and I showed up for the retreat that Friday night, and they were expecting a certain size crowd, and I noticed the crowd was not near that big. And so if you, you've, you've done retreats long enough, you learn to ask this question. Did you ask them to pay before they came? And you know what the answer was? No. And I'm like, no, no wonder. I didn't say this out loud. No wonder half of them didn't show up. In the day we live in, the only way you can get someone to show up for something is if they pay. Now, honestly, I've lived long enough that there was a day when if someone signed their name and said they were coming, their name actually meant something. And they showed up. And then we figured out that didn't make much sense anymore. So then we've all started, if we have any sense, that we're not putting your name on the list until you pay. And that helped. But even today, they can put their name on the list, they can pay, and what I've noticed now is they still don't show up. They will hand us $100 that they're never going to get back, I promise you, and, and not come to the retreat. And guys, and what I'm saying is, I think that's reflective of the, the lack of just commitment, because what's happening along that spectrum is what someone's saying is what most of us say is, I'll show up if nothing better comes up. But I get a better invitation is, I don't care if I paid, you can have $100. And guys, what we're seeing through that, and one reason many of us are not going to survive spiritually is because we don't have that sense of obedience. And let me tell you, it's not going to work. If you only read your Bible on the days you feel like reading your Bible, if you only come to church on the Sundays you feel like coming to church, if you only obey the things God says when you like what he says, you're in a lot of trouble. And so something that we must restore today, if we're going to survive, is we've got to restore a sense of, you know what, God said it, and I obey it. Because it's the right thing to do. Because, guys, if, if it's always up to what you feel, you're probably not going to do the right thing. For, for instance, I, I don't, almost every Sunday someone comes to me in the lobby, and I appreciate this, 
And they say, man, buddy, I woke up this morning, I didn't feel good, I've had a rough week. And they say, I just really didn't feel like coming to church today. But every time they say that to me, at the end of service, they will say, whew, I'm so glad I came. Now, I know there's some other people who probably just don't tell me it, okay? But, but, but most of them go, you know, it's been so, I'm, I, I'm glad I forced myself to get up. And guys, that's what obedience does for you. Because we've had an amazing start to small groups right now. But I know what's about to happen because we're in that season. We've been in small groups two or three, you know, you know, a couple months now. And, and now here's what's going to happen is some of you are going to do, here's my word of the year, is sketchy. You're just sketchy. And you're going you're to drop out. And before long, you're not going to show up because you're too busy or, or you, you just don't feel like it. And, and before long, that, that community you could have had is not going to exist. And the small groups can become discouraged. You see, what we need are people with a sense of commitment to say, you know what, we're just going to do the right things. And guys, if you're going to survive in this crazy world that we live in, this is the only way you're going to survive. It's, it's, it's like going to war. That's why when people go to war and they're trained in our army and they're about to be an extremely dangerous world, they are taught to obey immediately. Why? Because if I'm standing up in my foxhole and my head's out and the enemy bullets are starting to come and my supervisor says, you need to get down in the foxhole, and I go, well, I don't know if I feel like it. <laughs> Would you explain the reasons behind that? You're dead. And guys, I'm not trying to be ugly to you, but the passage begs it. If you're not willing to be obedient simply because God says it spiritually, you're going to be dead. And then there's the next section. I love the next section. is praise-filled gratitude. Andy referred to that just a, a little while ago. And, and that was simply about these ten leopards that were, were healed. And, you know, only one comes back. And, and listen to what it says. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then here's Jesus' punchline. Guess what? And he was a Samaritan. Jesus loves to get the Pharisees. He's the guy you don't expect, and he's the guy that comes back and praises God. You say, okay, buddy, you're stretching here. How is worship a survival skill? I'm telling you, it's one of our best survival skills. Because when we meet together and we worship, we are reminded of who God is. We're reminded of this crazy world, this battlefield we live in, that we serve a God who's all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing, and in the long run, he's going to be victorious. I need to know that. When we meet together in worship, it reminds us of what's really real. One of the, the prayers I just detest is when someone leads a closing prayer and says, Lord, as we're about to go, enter the real world. Like this isn't real. I'm telling you, the things that we talk about here are more real than the things taught out there. You see, this is truth of who God is and who we've been called to be, and we are in the real world, and we have to be reminded of it. And that's why I love worship. And so, we're gonna, we're, again, we're going to stop and practice the survival skill right now. I, I want to challenge as we worship. Well, you go ahead and stand. If you'll stand. You, you see, what, what this passage said is this, this man was so full of gratitude that he praised God. One of my favorite psalms is found, uh, it says, 
when you want to come to worship, you enter his gates with thanksgiving, okay? Uh, the message translation is what I love. It says, enter worship knowing the password of praise. Guess what it is? Thank you. Sometimes we think, man, the worship team better be good today. Jeremy may be good today. Man, can you believe Andy actually wore a coat today? It's going to be awesome. And we think, we 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 got to work ourselves up to this worship thing, man. We, no, 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 no. All you've got to do is be thankful. So before we start praising God, I want to ask you, real quickly in your mind, list five things you're thankful for. Five people, five things, real quick. Okay, if, if, you, if you know those five things, then you're going to do exactly what this leper did. You are going to shout out your praise. So don't hold back right now. Let's praise him with all our heart. Oh, I love it when we can just stop and practice these things as we talk about them. Uh, we're going to hit two more stories and two more points rather quickly. Um, I'm not having time to go through all of this. So on the bottom of your message outline, there's a daily Bible reading schedule that you could follow this week to look in more depth to these stories. Because our, our, let's go to our sixth survival skill, which is expected, expectant waiting. In, in this section, there's a lot there that you can study in depth, but basically the teaching here is you need to be always ready that God's coming back. No man can foresee it. He says you can't predict it, but there will come a moment where every one of us will see it. It's about the unpredictability of Jesus coming. Now, in the midst of this, there's a really, really weird verse that I need to show you. If you have your Bible, look at verse 37. After he tells them, you know, two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken, the other left, they ask, where, Lord? Listen to this reply. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Is that your favorite memory verse? Man, what a odd, I've tried to figure this thing all week long. What is he saying there? What Jesus is saying is if you're not ready, if you haven't surrendered to him, if you have rejected him, let me give you a graphic picture of the total devastation and death that will come to you. you you're, gonna be, you're so dead spiritually, you didn't survive that there will be vultures circling your dead body. Now, obviously, Jesus is really working hard to get a point out. His point is that so many of us live life like God's never coming back, like there will never be a day of judgment or accountability. And, and so he gives two illustrations in this. He talks about the flood. And he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, during those times, people are eating and drinking and buying and selling and planning and building and marrying. What's he saying? Most of us are just living life like it can go on forever. But just like in the flood, it was all interrupted in a moment. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed in a moment. There will come a day when everything you and I are doing will not be important and it will be interrupted. And the only thing important will be do we know Jesus. And guys, this is an extremely important survival skill. Because what he's saying is we need to be alert. We need to be ready. And frankly, guys, sometimes we need to be shook up. We don't preach about this much anymore. Because there is a day of judgment coming. 
One of my best friends in college, a guy named Wiley Mullins, I always loved, anytime he was close to fall into a temptation, he would say, buddy, I, I'm just not going to do it. And then here's his line, I just don't want to go to hell. And let me say this, I don't think that's the highest motivation. But quite frankly, I don't think that's a bad motivation. Sometimes the only thing that's going to stop you from walking down that wrong path is you don't want to go to hell. Nothing wrong with that. And what Jesus is saying is, you need to be alert. Because how much differently would we live if we lived in anticipation of Jesus coming back every moment? Now, I'll confess to you, I don't live that way very often. I, I, I really live my life like everything's going to stay the same. The truth is, it's not. Either you're going to die or Jesus can come back. And, and let me say this. I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying this to scare us. But the truth is, if this kind of passage scares you, you've got some serious business you need to deal with. And every once in a while, we need the hell scared out of us. I like that, don't you? I just came up with that one. Every once in a while, we need the hell scared. I mean, you need to, you know, when you're about to walk down that wrong path, you need to go, hmm, I don't want to go there. So that's a survival skill. You live in your life like you might come back. And then there's just one more story there, story of the persistent widow. There's this unjust judge, and, and this widow needs justice, but he won't give it to her. And so she just bugs the stew out of him. In the long run, the judge says, I'll grant you your request for justice because I'm just tired of you bugging me. I'm tired of you bothering me. Now, understand, that's not, Jesus is not saying that God is the unjust judge. What he's saying is, if persistent requests and pleas can change a hard-hearted, evil judge, what in the world do you think will happen if you are persistent in your prayer life to God? And so one of the great survival skills for us is prayer. When you're tempted to sin, pray. When life's not fair, you don't understand it, pray. When you don't understand what you're going through, pray. When you get discouraged because you fell on your face, pray. When you want to give up, pray. When things are going well, pray. Just pray. And God's going to requ- answer your requests. So this morning, let's close out this way. How do we employ these survivor skills? And here's what I want you to do for a moment. I want you to think with me a second. What is Satan's strategy to trip you up, to make you stumble? Now, I'm assuming a vast majority of us right now are, are fired. I know I am. I'm fired up right now. I just I love what God's doing in my life. I love what God's doing in my family. I love what God's doing in this church. But I'm going to be unwise if I don't at least go, I know myself well enough, and I know Satan's going to try to stop this because he does not want this church to get on fire. He does not want you to get off your tail and do something. He wants you just to sit there. And so when you start doing that, I'm promising you, he's coming after you. You know that, I know that. And so if you're on some spiritual high right now, you know yourself well enough, and I guarantee you Satan knows you well enough, he's got a strategy to stop you. And so what is Satan's strategy going to be, and which of these survival skills are you going to employ to defeat him? I've given you, I've given you seven, or Jesus did. 
Which one do you need right now? And some of you, you, buddy, you say, I, I'm not on a high, man. I barely made it here this morning. You know, I hardly ever come. And I, you know, I've about given up. And okay, okay, that's okay. Let's just stop there for a minute. Okay, that's the way you've been living. What do you need to listen to from God's Word today? And right now, right now in our service, we're going to go ahead and apply another one of these survival skills is prayer. If you can't do anything else this morning, I'm going to invite you to be prayed over. I'm going to invite all of our elders and shepherds and all of our staff members, all of our elders and spouses, and all of our staff members and their spouses to come down front, okay? I want everybody down here so everybody can see when a line opens up, okay? So if, if all of you will come surround the stage, spouses, shepherds, ministers, just come be with us, all right? Now, we're, we're going to come down front this time. We're going to come down front because I, 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 know, I know there are lots of us that need to be prayed for. And uh, today, again, you don't have to write on a card. I'm not going to get up, and I'm not going to mention this. Uh, you just need, okay, can you guys uh, just help me out? Just scoot around this stage a little bit. It's such a beautiful thing when we do this. All right. Now, today, so if, if you find yourself and you're struggling to survive, then just come tell your name and tell what's going on, how much you want to say or don't want to say, and just let somebody pray over you. If you're discouraged... You know, if you're fired up right now and you don't want to lose it, man, just come and let somebody pray about you again. You don't have to write anything down. It's not me, but, but we're going to do what Jesus says. We are just going to persistently pray. If we'll stay on our knees praying, God's going to do great things. And so if you have to come up here and you might have to wait for just a moment, it's okay. You're going to see who's going to be open. But we want you to come while we sing together, and let's just spend some great time praying. So not only do we survive but by the power of God we will thrive until Jesus comes back. Let's stand together and sing.